a mother, a father, along with their two daughters, two sons, and a granddaughter decide to flee. They hurriedly pack their suitcases. The Spanish flu has arrived in their town in southern Mexico in 1918. The family flees to their home in the countryside to wait it out. While they are there, one of the sons notices that mom is not only bored and lonely, but falling into a bit of a depression. So the young boy tenderly approaches the father and suggests that they could go and retrieve mom's Singer sewing machine from their home so that mom can resume her favorite hobby, making dresses and clothes. Secretly, they send some strong men to move the massive Singer machine that weighs more than four men. And when they arrive with it in the country, mom breaks down. She cries uncontrollably. Mom assumes that this means they can never go home again. Perhaps everyone back home has perished. Life as she knows it must be over. This isolation will last forever. But then dad rushes in to assure mom that they will surely go home one day. They have only moved the sewing machine for her temporarily so that she can enjoy her hobby again. Suddenly, mom is thrilled and overjoyed, and later she says that the sewing machine not only saved her sanity, but maybe even her life. I loved this scene in the novel, The Murmur of Bees. First, the sewing machine evokes fear and despair, and then the sewing machine evokes comfort and gratitude. Nothing has changed on the outside, but everything has changed on the inside. The mother's perspective shifts. Today's scripture passage from Jeremiah paints a similar shift in perspective. The prophet Jeremiah looks out at the ruins of Jerusalem and announces hope. The first half of the book of Jeremiah describes the horrific despair of God's people as their temple, their nation, their economic system, their culture, their very identity is devastated by war and oppression. The best and the brightest have been deported, exiled to Babylon. Looking around at what had been the crown jewel of the Middle East, the prophet describes what they all see. It's a wasteland. The streets are desolate. Weddings have been postponed or canceled. Funerals have been put on hold. Three times in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet announces, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness have ended. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride are not heard. This is no time to sing and celebrate. This is a time when everyone has been touched by the public disaster. I remember last June when the stores here in KC first opened up and I took my granddaughters on their annual birthday shopping trip. We entered into Oak Park Mall at 10 a.m. It turns out nothing opened until 11 or 12, and so we walked through the mall and found that it was completely empty, desolate, dim. 
all the metal rolling gates blocking entry to the storefronts. It was a ghost land. And I felt sad, not because I loved the mall, but because I could feel no life from within the community. All of us have known now what Jeremiah knew in the year 587 when Jerusalem fell. We have known about weddings that were canceled or downsized. We have said goodbye to people we loved with only a graveside service or a tiny funeral home gathering or no service at all. The pain and the grief accumulates. This week is Thanksgiving, and all of us have had those conversations. Should we go or not go? Is it safe? How can we celebrate alone? In the midst of our human dilemma, the prophet Jeremiah speaks. Jeremiah looks around and sees something startling. In the midst of the wasteland, in the midst of the desolation, Jeremiah hears the voice of mirth and gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of the people bringing their thanksgiving offerings to God and proclaiming aloud, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and God's steadfast love endures forever. In the midst of the wasteland, they seem to dance. Well, how does this happen? How do we shift our vision from despair and fear to gratitude and thanksgiving? Or how do we have thanksgiving in the middle of a pandemic? 400 years ago, between 1618 and 1648, the Thirty Years' War unfolded in Europe. As the Germans were attacked by the Austrians, the Swedes, and others, the people fled the countryside and took refuge inside the walled cities, but there was not enough room in the walls of the city, and plagues and pestilence broke out everywhere. The population was decimated. In the village of Ellenburg, only one clergy person survived. His name was Martin Rinkert. Each day, Martin Rinker buried 40 or 50 people. One day, among those he buried was his own wife. It was near the end of the Thirty Years' War, and one day, Pastor Rinkert sat down at the kitchen table and wrote the words of a table grace that he could say each night with his children. And his words became this hymn. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in God's grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ills in this world and the next. What Pastor Rinkert felt 
is the same thing that the prophet Jeremiah felt in the midst of a life where so much was terribly wrong. They both felt God's steadfast love. Or as one Old Testament scholar translates that phrase, they felt God's tenacious solidarity. God was with them. God was loving them in each and every moment. God had not quit. God would stay with them until there was cause to sing and dance again. Author Walter Brueggemann says that in the midst of abandonment, God has not abandoned. In September, my sister and I traveled to Texas to see our parents. We were both a bit nervous. We stayed in a hotel because mom and dad live in a retirement community that is on lockdown. We picked up some breakfast pastries and invited mom and dad to come to the hotel for breakfast in our room. We had a kitchenette and a suite where we could spread out and visit. Mom is not an early riser and she struggles to move quickly with a bum foot. And so I was surprised when mom said we would eat breakfast at eight. I texted them, no need to bring coffee, we have that here. Dad replied, too late, mom has it ready. Then the knock on the door came just shortly after eight. And there they were, all dressed up for the day and pulling behind them a metal cart. And in the cart, fresh cooked eggs with a lovely sauce, fresh fruit cups, a pitcher of coffee, warm pastries, a pitcher of Bloody Marys, beautiful napkins and silverware. And I laughed and I wanted to dance because my mom and dad embody God's steadfast love. God's tenacious solidarity. In the midst of abandonment, God does not abandon. Over the past eight months, I have spoken with folks who have voiced something like this. I feel lucky. I'm so grateful that in these tough times, I'm making it. I have heard this from multiple people, like those working for Instacart who deliver groceries to my front door. I've also heard it from church members, even those who have taken pay cuts or lost their jobs. We're doing okay. We, we have savings. We have enough food, and we have each other. I have heard it from single folks with compromised immune systems. I, I'm okay. My friends are dropping off what I need, and I'm able to work in the garden and connect with friends on Zoom. I'm okay. And I've heard it from elderly couples. Oh, we're so lucky to have meals provided and we don't have to go out. I've heard it from family who have recovered from COVID. We're lucky. We had a mild case. You know what I call that? I call that God's tenacious solidarity. God's steadfast love. Because of God's steadfast love, we are still dancing in the wasteland. Some moments, yes, we are devastated by the despair of this pandemic. And then by some miracle, our perspective shifts. And we see that the sewing machine is not a sign of the end. It's a sign of love. God's love reaches into the wasteland and causes our feet to dance with overflowing gratitude.
when March hit and we had to move our church services online, my biggest worry was that we would not be able to stay strong as a church. Would people continue to give? Would people watch church online? Would we be able to retain our talented and devoted staff? My heart brims with gratitude this Thanksgiving because I can say to you this day, the church is stronger today than it was a year ago. You have shown me God's tenacious solidarity, God's steadfast love. You have sent in handwritten notes and emails. The worship, you say, it's so meaningful. You have sent in online gifts, checks in the mail, and one of you sent $500 in cash one day. You have sent in pledge cards, some of you who had never pledged before. One day, some new members joined, and right after we showed those new member pictures on the screen, multiple families in the church spontaneously emailed that family to say, Welcome to the church. We're so glad to have you. You have volunteered in amazing ways, delivering candles and calling the elderly and feeding the hungry. You have read tough books on about racial prejudice, and you have attended online classes about saints and theology and Bible. You have formed new small groups and reached out to each other with kindness and loving support. I see God's tenacious solidarity in you. I see God's steadfast love in you. I cannot imagine anything that would evoke thanksgiving more than that. I'll tell you, there have been easier years, but never in my life have I been more grateful than I am this year.